Of the weekly dispatch. I'm Sean. I'm here in New York, just moved, and we're going to be covering the week of the 22nd through the 28th of July, hitting all the important topics in the news cycle and looking for all the upcoming events important to your week. Our podcast is sponsored by Paragon Recovery. Use the code Cronus15 to get great deals on their products. Paragon Recovery keeps you in the fight through activating your recovery and sleep cycles. And check them out and contact them for even more savings if you're a member of the military community or one of the law enforcement agencies. Today's podcast will highlight some of the tensions again in the Persian Gulf between the British and Iranian governments, resuming discussions from last week. We're also going to talk about the change in Britain's highest level of leadership, more conflict in China and Hong Kong, and finally, increasing aggression between the Korean Peninsula and Japan. Our U.S. America's news this week will be a summary of the attempts to raise our debt ceiling, the Robert Mueller hearings in Congress, and reflections on positive dialogue in politics and those elected officials. And finally, our economy topics for this week will be Netflix, minimum wage, and a war in auto regulations between state and federal levels. Starting off in global news and last week's topic that was so heavily discussed between Iran and Great Britain, uh, we're continuing that discussion right now. So, in response to increased pressures from the United States and Great Britain, Iran's seizure of the oil tanker last week wasn't the only incident causing international eyebrow raising. Iran announced the arrest and holding of 17 Iranian Americans for espionage, and Iran's court system has already completed the trial for those individuals and found them guilty, sentencing them to death. However, they have not completed that sentence. Tensions are beginning to increase now with what Iran labels as economic warfare from U.S. sanctions, and Britain's beginning to increase the presence of his own navy in the Persian Gulf. Mr. Hunt, who's Great, Great Britain's uh, foreign secretary, warned, and quote, if Iran continues on this dangerous path, they must accept the price will be a larger Western military presence in waters along their coastline, end quote. He described the new maritime security effort as uh, European-led, this at a time when Europe was hoping the United States might back off some of those sanctions and move back to the 2015 measures. However, Mr. Pompeo is leaving little room for negotiations, saying, quote, that the Iranian people will get the leadership behavior that they so richly deserve, end quote. What the United States is trying to influence is another version of the Arab Spring, where individuals in the country rise up against the regime based on economic sanctions the United States can employ rather than going through with military action. China, though, is continuing to import oil uh, after their May waivers ended. So this is how some of the international uh, implications um, affect Iran. After the 2017 decision for the United States to tighten sanctions uh, against Iran, the United States struck a deal with eight countries uh, who would continue trading with Iran, extending the waivers to those nations through this last May. However, China's recently passed that date and has now claimed that unilateral sanctions endorsed by the United States were not necessary for Beijing, and they are committed to continuing trade with Iran as it is its largest oil import partner. And some of the largest global news, again, talking about Britain, is their change in prime minister, 
Boris Johnson is now the new British PM. He won 66% of the postal votes held by members in the Conservative Party. Mr. Johnson will take over effective immediately and also face the nation's management and exit from the European Union, which is only three months away, as well as now tensions in Iran trying to trade back their tankers and their crews. Mr. Johnson is doubling down on Brexit, promising to leave by the October 31st deadline. Mr. Johnson was one of the strongest voices for Brexit back in 2015. However, he couldn't produce a way ahead, which leaves many in his own party asking if he's tasked to work with this endeavor. Um, they're hesitant to see real clear economic ways ahead for the small European bloc. Three times already, Mrs. May, the previous PM, uh, her Brexit plans were grossly defeated in Parliament. Uh, the biggest area for concern amongst those in Parliament is the idea of a no-deal exit for economic policy. And as of right now, 12 to 13% of Britain's GDP rests solely in exports to the rest of the EU, while England's export only makes up 2.5% of the total GDP for the European Union. Policymakers believe increased trade costs will hit the British Isles significantly harder, uh, countries like Ireland, um, than the rest of the European Union. Just five months ago, Prime Minister May, forced by her own Conservative Party, uh, extended the Brexit talks after a disastrous initial withdrawal proposal between the EU and the UK. Uh, some of those plans, uh, highlighted and introduced, uh, revised back in March, um, tried to prevent a no-deal departure, something that, again, the large majority of Parliament opposes. The original no-deal departure was set for March 29th of this year, and then under uh, Article 50, the extension, uh, the, treaty, the treaty section governing withdrawal process uh, really limits the exact timing that these countries can now finish and postpone a Brexit date. The postponement of the Brexit date requires all 27 EU governments to support. Prime Minister May argued the economic leverage gives her crucial negotiation support, although we did just highlight the 2.5% of the EU GDP that uh, those exports made up for Britain. Uh, but she believed that her power rested in the Britain economic policy um, that would force the rest of the EU to come to the table. And so far, three cabinet members that work for her directly, uh, the pension secretary, business secretary, and justice secretary, all hinted at a vote for an amendment to extend Article 50 rather than launch the UK into business uncertainty. Our final global topic, we'll talk about the Korean Peninsula and Top Gun 2. And I don't mean the Tom Cruise, I've not been promoted past Captain Top Gun. I'm talking about the real Top Gun with Chinese and Russian planes flying over the South China Sea and then the strait between Japan and Korea. So this past Tuesday, South Korea fired hundreds of warning shots to ward off three Russian planes and two Chinese warplanes that had entered South Korean air defense identification zones. South Korea ended up scrambling F-15 and F-16 jets. They intercepted the Russian and Chinese escorts, firing flares, machine gun rounds when their radio calls went unanswered. This is the first provocation by Chinese and Russians in a joint effort. In the past, long-range bombers and recon planes from both Russia and Chinese militaries frequently entered that Korean air defense zone, just not together. So this is a big deal. South Korea reports the joint flight mission appeared to have coordinated a movement, uh, one of the planes being an early warning plane from Russia. 
Back in 2013, Korea expanded that air defense identification zone, the first time it's done so in 62 years, and actually included airspace over the East China Sea, which is also uh, an area claimed by China and Japan. Japan complained since then about all three countries violating what it concerns its uh, own island and its waters, arguing the maneuvers by all three nations, not just Russia and China, but Korea as well, violated its airspace. Military tensions might continue to rise as the Japanese, Chinese, and Koreans all continue claiming overlapping zones in the region. China is also facing heat after reports indicate it might send some of the 6,000 soldiers garrisoned outside of Hong Kong into the city to quell those riots that we discussed last week. So beyond the air maneuvers with Russia, uh, internal tensions continue to plague the country. While Hong Kong was not specifically mentioned uh, by the state's authorities um, for what this garrison of troops would be used for, it's well assumed that the location was meant to be Hong Kong, especially given last week's reporting on the arms sale to Taiwan and increased tensions with Western influencers. All right, this week in U.S. news, we're going to discuss the federal budget crisis uh, and spending by our government. So this week, Congress and the White House reached an accord on a two-year budget raising spending by over $320 billion beyond existing caps, which will allow the government to borrow more and more money to avoid another financial and fiscal crisis. This bill, uh, when it passes, will be after Congress fills in details program by program for government allocation of those new or existing funds. The bill won't solve uh, any long-term debt ceiling issues, however. Instead, it's going to push the next show down until after the 2020 election. So it will be a discussion point for those candidates running for president. However, we're not going to see any resolution now. The government currently runs a $1 trillion deficit every year, and our national debt right now is at $22 trillion, and that debt continues to rise. We'll break down some of the party lines here. The Republicans uh, first argued for tighter monetary controls on debt back in 2014 when then-President Obama signed the Budget Control Act. However, this new bill will waive those caps established in the Obama-era Act and doesn't tackle the real issue of cutting unnecessary programs or actual budgetary control. Key costs to our ballooning debt are, you know, we've got an aging population from the baby boomers that are drawing Social Security and Medicare. Spending habits in Washington continue to increase as lobby groups try to get more money for both military efforts and then social plans as we see the cut between Democrats and Republicans. Debts were also increased after the 2017 tax cut by President Trump, which totaled over $1.5 trillion, also increasing spending. In the last two years, the federal budget deficit has increased by 15% every fiscal year. Uh, if we compare that to when President Obama uh, after his first term uh, in the 2008 financial crisis, when his largest deficit was experienced, uh, that was a point, though, in which deficits fell by 11% per year. It's unclear how a second term for President Trump with his tax cuts in 2017 could impact long-term spending and budget policy. This past Wednesday, FBI Director Robert Mueller met with the House Judiciary Committee and later the House Intelligence Committee for over seven hours of testimony related to the 22-month investigation of then-candidate Trump's campaign. This was on all day on every single major network. It was interesting watching it 
because there was definitely a trajectory each party wanted to launch questions into. And after the release of the 450-page findings uh, with some redacted sections created for review by the Attorney General William Barr, Mr. Mueller stuck to the report's findings. That was the bottom line, but not without some drama from both sides from the aisle. So the key issue Democrats sought to confirm were the reports of just five specific instances of obstruction of justice by the Trump campaign specific to the president and his actions in the face of the investigation. The Republicans on the other side were eager to test Mueller's credibility, the fairness of his team, his lawyers, uh, who are themselves embattled with uh, drama after members acted with impropriety in the investigation, if you remember, struck. To the uh, largest extent, the Republican effort, though, is aimed at making obstruction a, a moot point after highlighting that the very reason for the investigation to begin in the first place could not be detailed by Mueller or his team. The Republicans contend the incident launching the investigation with the Steele dossier and subsequent information from Mr. Papadopoulos, a Trump aide, was a fragment of the Democratic fabrication and purchase. Mr. Mueller did not answer uh, multiple questions uh, as the individuals attempted to create a you know, flashy news moment where, hey, we've got a Mr. Mueller read from his report word for word. I can put it on a soundbite. Mr. Mueller restated, and I quote, we did not reach a determination as to whether the president committed a crime, end quote. And to add confusion to that matter, during his line of questioning, Mr. Liu, a Democrat from California, uh, Mr. Liu said, uh, could you please read from this that he is not uh, exonerated or he's not guilty? Uh, Mr. Mueller replied that if he had said that, they could not find a sitting president guilty under the review uh, of the Office of Legal Counsel. So given the president uh, is the sitting president, Mr. Mueller found that after review with that Office of Legal Counsel that he actually can't even, uh, you know, indict that, that president for that. The only time Mr. Mueller even mentioned Trump uh, was after a line of questioning in regard to whether or not President Trump refused to be interviewed. Uh, and then stating later that written samples met the intent of the investigation. The big things, though, to remember. As the case was for President Nixon back in the day when the review began for his investigation after Watergate, the report was written in a similar fashion by a special counsel providing the individuals capable of bringing impeachment charges against the president to make that decision. The only difference between the instance now and back uh, with President Nixon is the witnesses were available to the House for review. Uh, in this instance, Don McGahn and others specifically addressed in the questions uh, by many of the members of Congress were not at this hearing on Wednesday. By far, though, the best part of the live coverage came during the first break when one of the news anchors on one of the networks said, and I'm paraphrasing, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day because most people will miss this event and only see the sound bites played out along party lines on whichever major network they subscribe to, which is by far a greater indictment, I think, of our current political stake, political stake and our future. Uh, individuals really need to be better informed, and I think there is definitely a correlation to the combative relationships between parties today as a result of the really long, drawn-out death of printed newspaper and just old-fashioned reporting. And some of you might be wondering... What is the role of the Justice Department reviewing law and looking into Mr. Mueller's investigation? Um, 
So it's important to know uh, the responsibilities of both Congress and the Justice Department. With regards to such cases as this one we're talking about, we have to keep in mind jurisdiction, which can extend both geographically, uh, then to specific cases, um, and then each one of those has their own case materials and rules. We also have to look at the legislative history when case law or this enacted law was written to cover these topics um, that we're seeing discussed at the Judiciary Committee. So as a rule of thumb, the judges and law tends to be pretty conservative to preserve what's called stereodysis, which um, is essentially the thing that preserves a precedent. So with all those things to consider, uh, a reason to review policy by the courts unless laws seem to be outside of you know, some sort of normative measure, uh, don't meet fairness or make it less efficient for courts to process law in judicial administration policy. The only real action that can be taken to prevent instances like this from happening again in the future rests solely within Congress to enact new statutes from which the courts can now better adjudicate and uh, create findings um, for future generations. Our last US topic uh, might be somewhat divisive for some of you uh, and for others, kind of just par for the course. So we talked about the combativeness between the aisles and, and this person is going to definitely either ruffle your feathers or you're definitely gonna know who I'm talking about. But Democrat Representative Ilhan Omar recently uh, wrote an interesting opinion piece for the New York Times in which, among other things, she highlighted the growing tensions within the United States. And I bring this up because beyond the partisan debates that are currently being waged on news channels every single night, the subject of it is just so much tension. Uh, Representative Omar had a really insightful comment that I think, if we put in perspective, can really help a future dialogue, stating just how inefficient the squabbling and being distracted is uh, from a meaningful way forward. She says, if working Americans are too busy fighting with one another, we will never address the real, very real, deep problems our country faces, from climate change to soaring inequality to lack of quality for affordable health care. That's the end quote. So as Americans, service members, and, and educated members of the most advanced society on earth, we should really review our personal values and purpose in shaping the future for this country. Get out and have positive dialogue. Read facts and statements from both sides of the aisle so you understand and have some empathy as leaders exactly where people might be coming from with some of these discussions. This week's breakdown of the economy, Netflix's stock value dropped by whoop, 10% after it lost nearly 126,000 subscribers. The real number of subscribers right now that Netflix claims is kind of unknown. If you, like me, have someone that bums your account or may or may not share an account, it's really hard for Netflix to establish those uh, data points to find out when it loses subscribers exactly how many people are leaving this. So, and this is also coming at a time where many of you like shows like The Office and Friends and know that they're leaving Netflix, facing cuts uh, due to other streaming services and expiring contracts. Disney will launch a Star Wars universe on their services, as well as the Marvel series, which is going to challenge Netflix for content. Netflix also increased its subscription costs. I don't know if you knew that because you're probably on auto pay, but review that. So that could also be a factor, and growth abroad is really slow. And speaking of things that combat Netflix, Amazon has some great shows. So I, I really personally recommend watching Good Omens and The Boys, uh, which just came out this week. But for real great content, 
hit up the Cronus Fit YouTube page. That's where the real money is, and it's free. It's not going to cost you anything. And the final economic topic, uh, as we talked about, is the battle between state and federal rights as it regards to uh, regulation of automotive practices. So Trump and several states, spearheaded specifically by California, are regulating tailpipe pollution standards for automakers across the country. President Trump announced he was going to roll back Obama-era regulations, which forced car companies to make more efficient cars. However, in response to this, California recently reached an agreement with the big four auto companies in the United States to alter the Obama agreement from what they required uh, cars to be at by 2025, which was a vehicle which could go 54 miles per gallon. Uh, they've changed that now to be 51 miles per gallon by 2026. Originally, it was the automakers who sought Trump's review of that regulation to limit restrictions on consumption. However, since those rollbacks proposed by Trump are aimed beyond just emission standards, uh, which is lobbied hard by gasoline lobbyists, the economic fallout would be foreign companies who would agree with the California deal could face higher tariffs from the administration and then increased prices on imports paid for by U.S. consumers. And from an economic policy standpoint, if we consider a supply and demand chart, the supply of vehicles could be reduced as quantity on the x-axis uh, as it's decreasing, which then increases the equilibrium price of goods on what is uh, essentially an inelastic demand curve, because people always want cars, which means that the buyer's uh, tax uh, incidence increases significantly with tariffs added to vehicles coming into the United States. Uh, if this regulation uh, from Trump increases tariffs. Okay, sports and upcoming topics to watch for. Last weekend, an Irish dude won the Open in Ireland, which was huge for that country. It really brought together uh, North and South Ireland. I know that those aren't the actual names of the countries. One's the Republic of Ireland and another Ireland. So anyway, uh, big things out of Comic-Con. Thor 4, Love and Thunder uh, was just announced. The Witcher starring Henry Cavill, who is a total crumpet, uh, just had a trailer come out. It looks great. And then Rick and Morty uh, was talked about. And then there's now going to be a new Blade 4, which could not be more awesome. Finally, I just saw Godzilla, which was such an epic, awesome monster movie. Awfully boring script and not enough Ken Watanabe, but Godzilla absolutely went off on Rodan and Monster Zero. Mothra was cool, I guess. Uh, the Hollow Earth Theory seems legit after this movie, so move over Flat Earthers. The best part of the movie, and spoiler alert, Godzilla wins. The movie's been out for so long, I was able to see it at a local university for $2, so I don't feel bad for you if you haven't seen it. Um, but Godzilla and Ken Watanabe sharing a moment in like the lost city of what I'm assuming is Atlantis before Ken detonates a nuke and Godzilla comes back like Dwayne the Rock Johnson, I don't like bullies, is awesome. Uh, Brock Lesnar is also your new WWE champion after Extreme Rules in case anyone still watches the WWE Network. Some sad news uh, if you're a member of the Navy or Marines. Recently, a Navy SEAL platoon was sent home early from Iraq for deterioration of good order and discipline during non-combat operation periods, drinking while deployed. The platoon is from the same SEAL Team, SEAL Team 7, as Chief Gallagher, who was recently found not guilty 
for the murder of a teenage ISIS fighter in 2018, and this is coming on the heels of reports of cocaine use in the SEAL community while in Colombia. And staying within the boats and the Marines, uh, 60 Marines were just arrested for human and drug smuggling at Camp Pendleton, the Marine Corps' largest base on the West Coast, which is just 55 miles from the U.S.-Mexico border. Eight of those Marines are being questioned about their involvement in drug offenses as well as part of a separate investigation. So this is the news for the week. Uh, tune in next week for any updates we have to these topics and all the new stuff that's coming out. Go see Godzilla. Peace.